continuing our journey through the Old Testament, and I find it wonderful when God gives us a picture in our lives of a spiritual reality. Because at this time, there are spiritual things that we cannot see with the naked eye. Those things are still hidden from us until the Lord returns and we see him face to face. And so he gives us pictures in our lives that help remind us of these spiritual truths. Uh, one of those pictures is the picture of baptism. And so in baptism, uh, we see water, right? And it's regular water. If we have a baptism here sometime, just go in the back there. There's a sink there that uh, we turn on and put some water from the city of Lake Stevens. It's not special. There's nothing uh, holy about it, except in the fact that when we bring somebody to the Lord and we pray over them, uh, that water becomes a picture for us of a spiritual reality, that that person is being spiritually washed in that moment and that affects the rest of their lives. And so in the Old Testament, we see that it's filled with these kinds of pictures, things that were there to remind the people of God about spiritual realities. But these were just pictures. They weren't the real. They were never meant to be the focus. Rather, the spiritual reality was supposed to be the focus. The festivals of the Jews here that they celebrated every year were just that. They were pictures that were given by God so that year after year it would remind them of spiritual realities. And they were to pre uh, be preparing them for the thing that was to come, for the greatest spiritual reality ever, Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God coming in the flesh. But for many of the Jews, the picture, rather than the reality, became the most important thing. Similar to us, isn't it, when we celebrate Christmas, right? For a lot of people, they are not looking at the spiritual reality, the celebration of the coming of Christ as a baby in uh, Bethlehem. The picture itself has become the most important part of the celebration. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at these feasts, the feasts that were commanded by God in Leviticus here for the Jews to celebrate. And we're going to look, first of all, what they were, and then connect them to the reality of the Messiah come in the flesh. How did he fulfill these feasts? And then finally, we're going to be looking at how those apply to our own lives. How are they fulfilled in us? And so first of all, we're going to be looking at the spring feasts. There are three spring feasts. We're going to be looking at two of them today. And the main thing that we see in the spring feasts is that God is bringing peace to his people. And so each of these feasts sections have something about them that God is trying to show. And the major thing that he's trying to show in this situation is how do we have peace with God? And how do we have peace with one another? All right, and so, first of all, we see this feast celebrated called the Passover. And that, along with the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of First Fruits, help us focus on that first section of peace with God. And so, this feast is also a reminder of how God brought them out of Egypt. We just looked at this a number of weeks ago. 
And so the people of Israel, they had gone down to Egypt. They were there for over 400 years in slavery. And then Moses came down and said, let my people go. Well, Pharaoh did not want to do that. He had a great workforce here of over 2 million people that were working for him to build his temples and shrines. And so God poured out plagues upon the Pharaoh. And the last of those plagues, and the most brutal of the plagues, was the death of the firstborn. And so God told Moses, I'm going to kill every firstborn male in Egypt, including the Israelites, unless you do this. And so what he did is he had them take a lamb, not any lamb, it had to be an unblemished lamb, and this unblemished lamb, lamb they were supposed to observe for five days, making sure that there was nothing wrong with it, and then they slaughtered it at their threshold, at the door of their house. They slaughtered this lamb, the blood was spilled, and then they put the blood on the doorposts of their home. And a curious thing about that is, okay, well, why did he have each of the families slaughter a lamb on their threshold? Why didn't they just all gather together as the nation of Israel, like at certain times they do, and just slaughter one lamb for the entire nation and have it cover all of them against the angel of death that was coming. A little bit of context, I think, here would be helpful. Typically, sacrifices back in those days were not in temples. This was in the Israelites and pagan nations. Typically, what you did was you sacrificed at your own threshold to your household gods. We see this actually today happening in our current culture. I know you've seen this, all right? You go into a restaurant, right? An Asian restaurant, and they have a little shrine set up there, right? It's usually plastic with a little Buddha maybe or something like that. Or maybe they are sacrificing to a dead family member. And you see little you know, pieces of fruit there, or even money sometimes. There was a place in Salinas that had tons of change all over. And it was kind of odd because I think people ended up treating it sort of like a wishing well. Throw your tip change, you know, into this thing. And I was like, I never did it because I knew what that was. That was a sacrifice to their particular idol. And what were they saying in that moment? They were saying, we want protection over this restaurant. We want protection over our lives. And so in this situation, when you sacrificed to your household gods, you were asking them to protect your home. And so what happened in this situation here was they sacrificed on their doorstep there. And it's interesting because after they sacrificed and that blood is spilt on the threshold and then placed on the doorposts, they would be very careful to step over the threshold and not trample the blood of the sacrifice. And so there's a kind of double meaning here to the Passover because that Passover can also mean to skip or leap or protect. And so you're skipping over the threshold, not trampling the blood in order that you might be protected and that the God, whoever you serve, this case, Jehovah God, would come in and therefore protect you from the angel of death. And so that's the context that we see in the Passover. 
That's what they're doing there. They're asking God for protection from death. And so how do we see this then fulfilled in Jesus? You know, go forward 1,500 years there. And we see that Jesus came primarily as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And just as that unblemished Lamb back at the Passover, back in Egypt, was observed for five days, and also as they observed it down through the ages, as they celebrated Passover every year. Every family in Israel did this, by the way. And so Jesus came, he came on Palm Sunday, and for five days, he was observed by the Jewish people, specifically by the Jewish leaders, right? to see if there was any blemish. They were testing him. They were trying him. And by the way, this is exactly at the same time of the year that the Jewish people were observing their Passover lamb. Same time of year, same day, this was going on. And so during that observation, they would see, okay, this is an unblemished lamb. Then they would sacrifice it. And they wouldn't just burn it up and leave it there. They actually would then eat this Passover lamb. They would have this Passover lamb together. But there was a particular way that it had to be prepared. It had to be roasted on a crossbar. And that was happening at the very day, the very hour that Jesus was on the cross. And here's this picture for them, this amazing picture. While it's happening in real time, the spiritual reality... And yet so many were still not able to see it. The Jewish leaders, they were worried. They didn't want to touch a dead body so they could go back and partake of the Passover dinner. Miss the reality. And I find it interesting that Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, he said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you will have no part of me. The part of the sacrifice was eating the lamb. Receiving it into your body. And Jesus is saying here in this situation, receive me into your spirit that I might bring you life and pass over the angel of death passing over so that we do not fall under that condemnation. And so isn't it neat how the Lord coordinated this? Down through the ages, he still gives us these signs. Also, we see this in us. How is the Passover then fulfilled in our lives? Well, we personally make peace with God as individuals as we paint the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts of our lives, of our homes. Not literally, figuratively, right? And even though we still die physically, we will not die spiritually because the blood has been painted over our hearts. And over our lives, we'll go right from this life into eternal life. Amazing picture. I actually get a little sad around Easter, frankly. And the reason I get sad, I mean, not, I'm of course about the death of Christ and all that, but the reason I get sad is because in many nations, they call it by a different name, Pascha. Maybe you've heard that, okay? That's because they're actually calling it what it's supposed to be called, the Passover. 
Easter didn't come in until later, until pagan religions started to affect Christianity and such. I wish we would go back to what it actually is all about, the Passover. The second major feast that we see here that's named is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this is closely connected to Passover. In fact, it's the very next day after the Passover ends, the Feast of Unleavened Bread happens. And that's because after the Passover in Egypt, the very next day, they're heading out of Egypt. They're heading to the Promised Land. And so God gave them specific orders. He said, do not make bread with leaven in it. And any of you who have made bread before know the process of, you know, this thing has to rise, and you push it down, and it rises again, then you push it down, then you form it, and then it rises in the oven, and then you bake it. And basically he was saying is, you don't have time for all of that. you got to get out of here quick. No leaven. Just flatten that thing down, you know, flour and water and a little oil and fry it up and you're good to go. And so he had this leavened, un unleavened bread and they ate it for seven days. Remembering in this feast their bondage in Egypt. Leaven also took on a significance in regard to um, the sins of Egypt. It became symbolic of cleansing the sin of Egypt out of your life. And so in Jewish homes, what they do now is at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they go through the entire house to get rid of any leaven that's in the house. And some act, sometimes dads will actually make a game of it, put a little bit in a corner and you know the kids try to find it or whatever. However, not all the leaven gets taken out, right? What if just a little grain of leaven is still there in your home? You don't see it. You're trying to get rid of it. You know, you just don't know it's there. And so they would also pray for the accidental leaven in their lives. Lord, forgive us for the accidental way that we have brought this into our home. And that's why we see all the kosher laws in the Jewish uh, rituals that they do. Okay, and so this represented God taking the leaven out of their lives cleansing them, separating them, making them holy. And so they had this great care that they would go through to get that leaven out of their homes. We see this fulfilled in Jesus because at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jesus was laid in the tomb. His body is beaten and torn and stripes are down his back with the scourging of the Romans. Can you show that picture there, uh, Alex? I want you to notice here the matzah bread. This is the bread that they actually use during uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You notice a couple things about it. It's striped, and there's a bunch of holes in it. This is the traditional matzah. This is the picture of the body of Christ broken and beaten for the people of Israel. And so they had this picture before, eating it every year, year after year, and not recognizing what it was all about. And this bread was also called something specific. It was called the bread of affliction. The affliction that they went through when they were back in Egypt, remembering the things that they had gone through. And so we see this amazing affliction of Christ as he's in the grave for three days, beaten and broken. And they're eating the matzah bread in the Feast of Unleavened Bread right at that time when that's happening in real time. And so he's fulfilling it in his flesh. 
He was removing the leaven from their lives, making peace with one another. Because God is not only concerned about our justification, peace with him, he's also concerned about our sanctification, our relationship with one another. Because do you know most sin in our lives has to do with other people? Has to do with conflict and coveting and desires that we have and all these things and affects everybody around us. It's very rare that a sin is just your own thing. And that's why when people say, well, it's not affecting anybody else, well, it is. Sin affects everybody. And so for us, as we apply this lesson of the unleavened bread to our own lives, we realize that God is trying to sanctify us and get the leaven out of our lives so that we might have peace with one another. The Israelites were preparing to leave Egypt and go on this journey to the promised land. And he was concerned about them not bringing all that stuff with them into the promised land. Because it wouldn't be paradise and great if everybody's still fighting and doing all this. And we also see this in the state that we are in. We continue to sin, don't we? We continue to go on doing some of those things, and yet God is not leaving us alone. He doesn't want to leave us alone in that. I get this question a lot. Pastor, why is this happening to me? Well, God is still trying to get the leaven out of your life. Have you arrived at perfection yet? Well, no. Then he still needs to continue to have these things in your life in order to reveal what needs work in us. Because if things are going wonderful and great and whatever, you know, it doesn't really affect us that much. However, when things are not going great, that's when, you know, we are going before the Lord. I've actually seen this. This very week, I had somebody come into my office, had a terrible thing happen in their lives that's going on, and wanted some advice about that. You know, hadn't been a Christian their whole life, but now, you know, something's happening. And so... That's what the Lord does. He brings these things into our lives to deal with the leaven, the things that are going on. Because he's the loving father. He doesn't want to leave us in that mess. You know, if you saw your own kids going through something and you could do something about it, wouldn't you? (laughs) And God has the power and the authority to be able to do that, to cleanse those things out of our lives. And so in conclusion this morning... These are the first two of the major biblical feasts that we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks. And they're appointed by God in order to show us how we can have peace in our lives. But many would say, well, Pastor, isn't this Old Testament? Isn't this like just a bunch of Jewish stuff? We're not supposed to like really celebrate that kind of stuff, are we? Because we're not under the law. But I would quote Dr. Richard Booker on this point. He said, now that the person has come, Jesus... There's no need to seek God through the religious rituals. In fact, God never gave these pictures as objects of affection. Their purpose was to point the people to the person. This does not mean, however, that the pictures are no longer valuable to us. They are still important in helping us to understand how to know God and walk with him through a personal relationship with Jesus. I think one of the saddest things about the church, the modern church, is that it's been fairly cleansed of a lot of Jewishness. The the New Testament church was mostly Jewish, right? It was all these Jewish people. In fact, when they would go to these foreign cities, Paul and his companions, first of all, they would go to the Jews. And all the disciples originally were Jewish. 
And yet down through the ages, we don't even look at these feasts anymore. We don't really talk about those kinds of things. We don't use Hebrew words that much. And I think it's important for us to look at these things. The people that, I love, I had, uh, there was a Messianic Jewish rabbi back in um, Minneapolis. And you would just read through a particular text and whatever, and you'd kind of, you know, all the things you'd learn from Sunday school. He'd come at it with this totally different rabbinical understanding. And I was like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense now, <laughs> right? That's why going to Israel is really a cool thing, because suddenly all these places come to life. Oh, you mean this is a real place where the real Jesus stood in this real spot? And so for us, too, these are real things that we can get into touch with and to learn about. And that's what my hope is over the next number of weeks. And that's why it's important to study the Old Testament because that's our history. We are the continuation of Israel. Didn't cease to exist. We are just fulfilling it in the new now, along with our Jewish brothers and sisters who trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this, your word, and for these reminders, these feasts. Lord, help us to see ways that we can uh, really understand why you came through the Jewish people and the things that you tried to tell them and show them. Lord, help us to understand these things. We pray for the Jewish people. We pray for their salvation, that peace might come to Jerusalem. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.